Okay, good morning. So we are ready to begin the Chumash of Bamidbar, the fourth of the five books of the Torah. In English, it's called the Book of Numbers. However, and the reason why it's called the Book of Numbers is because the beginning of this book is going to be about the census of the Jewish people that takes place in the desert. We'll talk about it in just two minutes. But in Hebrew, Bamidbar does not mean numbers. In Hebrew, Bamidbar means in the desert. That's correct. So why is it called Ben Midbar? So on a very simple technical level, the reason why the name of the book is Ben Midbar, which is also the name of the parasha, is because in the opening words of the very first verse of this book, it says that God spoke to Moshe, Ben Midbar Sinai, in the desert of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of Rosh Chodesh, on the ear, to discuss. So that's the technical reason why the book is called Bamidbar, because it's the opening words mentioned that God spoke to Moshe in the desert. But obviously, it's discussed many times in Judaism, we don't believe that names are meaningless. Anything, a name encapsulates the entire theme, the entire motif of the entire book, the entire parasha. So since the book is called Bamidbar, in the desert, that means that the whole theme of the entire fourth book of the Torah is about the journey in the desert. Now this is true both on a historical, logistical level, and it's also true on a spiritual level. If you go through the parashas of the book of Bamidbar, basically we're starting off, as I'll explain in a second, we're starting off on Rosh Chodesh Iyar, exactly, or almost 13 months after the Jews left Egypt, the second year, I'll go through history in just one second, they're leaving now the, the mountain of Sinai, where they had received the Torah, and they had built the Mishkan, and now they're traveling out into the desert to go to the Promised Land. Now, unfortunately, that journey will not go too well. We're going to have the story of the spies, where the Jews lose faith in Hashem, they get punished, they end up, instead of going straight on a 20-day journey from Sinai to Israel, instead of that 20-day journey becomes a 39-year journey, really like a 40-year, and many other things will happen during that time. The well of Miriam, the death of Aaron, the wars, etc. Many stories that we'll talk about over the course of the next, well, it won't take us 39 years, 40 years to go through it, but stories that take place over the course of the 40-year journey in the desert. So, therefore, that's why it's called the Book of Amidbar, the Book of the Desert, because it's all describing the journey of the Jewish people in the desert. But on the more important spiritual level, this is also describing to us our mission <laughs> in life. After we, go, we, we receive the Torah, and after we build the Mishkan, which means after a Jew goes to Yeshiva, and after a Jew gets married, and he builds a home for God, etc., his objective is not to remain uh, you know, uh, secreted away in the walls of Torah, in the desert of Sinai, and you know, surrounded in the Mishkan of the holiness of God. Rather, what is our divine calling and our divine mission? To go out into the desert of Sinai, to go out into the, uh, into the Midbar, to go out into the desert. A desert is... A barren, desolate, empty place. Nothing grows in the desert. It seems like there's no hope there. It's not an inhabited place with fields and people. It's a desert. And there, in the desert, we need to bring the, the, the Torah of Sinai. We need to bring the holiness of God's presence of the Shekhinah to transform the desert to also be a home for God. That is our calling, our mission. In the journey of the five books of Moses, after we have the laws of the, of the Levites, this is our job. Anyway, so a quick historical context, and then we get into the story. Where we're we starting from. Jews left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, right? When they left Egypt, they were counted. 
what was the census? The 600,000 Jews that left Egypt, the, the, the Tzivais Hashem, the legions of God's army, we went out of Egypt 600,000. What happens? 49 days later, we come to Mount Sinai, we get the Torah on Shavuos, 49 days after we left Egypt. What happens the next day after we receive the Torah? Moshe says to the Jewish people, you stay here, Aaron is in charge, I'm going to go up the mountain to uh, receive the rest of the laws. Moshe goes up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and on the 40th day that had a night before it, which was the 41st day after Moshe went up on the mountain, the Jews become afraid because they don't see Moshe coming down the mountain. And what do they do? They make the golden calf. Right? We all know that story. They make the golden calf. Moshe everything comes down the mountain the next morning. He breaks the tablets. This is the 17th day. He went up on the 7th of Sivan, 17th of Tammuz. It's a fast day. He breaks the tablets. He keeps, there's a plague. He punishes the Jews. He goes back up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to try and get God's forgiveness. He's there from the 19th to the 29th of Tammuz. Sorry, the 29th of Av. And no forgiveness. Moshe comes down. God says, make a second set of tablets. He goes back up a third time. He goes back up the third time on Rosh Chodesh. Elul. He comes back down on Yom Kippur with a second set of tablets and God's promise of forgiveness. The day after Yom Kippur, God says to start building the second start building a Mishkan. And the building of the Mishkan would be the atonement for the Jewish people. God's presence had rested amongst us and between us when God revealed himself at Mount Sinai. When we sinned with the golden calf, we lost God's presence. And so now when we build a Mishkan, we'll bring God's presence back amongst the Jewish people. What else happened on the day after Yom Kippur? God tells Moshe, Kisisa, Rosh Yisrael, the Pasha of Kisisa, where God tells Moshe, make a sense to the Jewish people. I want to know how many Jews were destroyed, how many Jews are left, what's the total census of the Jews. At that point, every Jew comes and brings a half shekel coin, which is an atonement upon their soul. In addition, we don't count Jews directly, we don't count one, two, three. We count with a verse, then they count them with money, they count with a half shekel coin. And that was the second census, the second counting of the Jewish people. After the sin of the golden calf, when God, like an like owner, like a, oh no, let's say a sheep, a flock of sheep are attacked by uh, wild animals. So after they chase away the wild animals, they do a counting to see how many sheep are still left, right? So do after the plague and the punishment of the golden calf, God makes a census with a half shekel coin to see how many are left. That takes place on the 11th day of the month of Tishrei. Well, this starts. Now, during the next six months, from Yom Kippur, the 10th day of Tishrei, or the 11th day of Tishrei, rather, until Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is Tishrei, or half of Tishrei, right? Cheshvin, Kislev, Tevis, Shvat, Adar, and now, well, Rosh Chodesh is the first day of Nisan, six months, the Jews are building the Mishka. They're collecting the world, the, all the, the materials, they build it, they make a beautiful Mishka. They finish building it, really... Seven days before, there's the seven days of inauguration. We already learned all about this, right? Where Moshe acted as the priest. Finally, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, it's the day that God's Shekhinah once again comes back into the Mishkan. And it's a tremendous celebration. That's the day that Nadav and Aviyu pass away. And for the next 12 days after that, every single day, a different prince of a different tribe comes to bring their tribe's offering in the Mishkan. We'll learn about it next week's parasha, God willing. After that is Pesach. Comes Rosh Chodesh Ir. Rosh Chodesh is the first day of the next month. And God says to Moshe, it is time to do a third census of the Jewish people. That's what this partial thing we're talking about. A third census. Why do we need a third census? 
We already counted them just six months before. Six months ago, we counted the Jewish people. We already know how many people there are. So it says Rashi, why we count them again? To show how much love Hashem has for the Jewish people. When you have something that's very, very valuable and precious to you, you count it once, you put it away, you don't count it again, or you keep on checking it and counting it again and again, right? The guys a lot of money, they like to count the money. It makes them feel good. So, why you count it? You know how much money you have. It makes me feel good to count my, uh, my diamonds, my precious things. And so therefore, even though Hashem already knew the number of the Jews, it's an expression of love and endearment to count the Jewish people. In addition, okay, that's, that's, let's keep it at that. Also, when you get counted, it creates a certain holdings and a status that can never be destroyed. Meaning we know that in Jewish law, if you have an apple, the fall, it's, a, it's a truma apple, for example, it's a holy apple. It can't be eaten by a, by a non-true kohen. And it falls into a big, big bushel of apples. Can you say that the apple is nullified by all the other apples? Its t- flavor is not nullified because it's not like when you're cooking in soup or whatever, nullify one in 60. But that's where the taste is nullified. When you have an apple amongst other apples, at what point is that apple considered nullified in the majority that you're allowed to eat all the apples and not be worried about the Truma apple? So notice they one in a thousand. If you have a thousand apples and one apple falls in, you lose its identity. But that's excluding something which is sold by, that's when something is sold by weight. So apples are not sound by the apple. Apples are sold by the weight, a pound of apples. Therefore, it can become nullified. But an egg, for example, that's sold by individual count, it's not sold by weight. You don't buy a pound of eggs, you buy a dozen eggs. Therefore, an egg will never be nullified. By God counting the Jewish people again and again, He's changing our status from just being a community, a congregation that has 600 to 3,550 people. Okay, we're a, we're a collective whole. And God is changing our status to be individuals that each individual has inherent holy value in and of themselves that can never be nullified. Okay, now, if God loves us so much, why does God wait a whole month to count us? God should have counted us on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The day that the Mishnah was inaugurated, he should again counted the Jewish people. So the Talmud tells us he didn't count us then because he didn't want to mix the different joys. The joy of the inauguration of the Mishkan was a very, very special day in and of itself. If on that same day there would also be a census of the Jewish people, it would distract, right? It would become a whole, you know, getting papers, as that. It would become a whole, a whole distraction from the joy. And so therefore, for the next 12 days, when each prince was bringing their, their, communi- their tribal offering, God didn't want to take away from the focus on that tribe's inauguration. So there was no census. So now we have to wait already. Once we're ready to wait 12 days, God said, let's wait until the beginning of the next month to show that the counting of the Jewish people is not just something that happened after the Mishkan. Okay, we'll also count them. Their counting is important in and of itself. Therefore, we'll wait till Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the next month, and then we'll count the Jewish people. So... God says to Moshe, count all the Jewish people. Lift up their heads. When you count the Jews, it says, it's the lifting of the head. It's elevating the status of the Jew by showing how precious he is in the, in the eyes of God. They should be counted. Here's something new. They should be counted by their family, according to the, the, according to the family, according to the house of their father's house, the paternal houses. Meaning, here we're going to see that the sense of the Jewish people is going to take place by the tribes. And in tribal counting, your tribal identity is not your mother, even though that's what makes you Jewish as your mother, but your tribal identity is the house of your father. So they all have to come with papers to show their yichos, to show that the lineage was intact, to show who were their parents, who was their father, who were they born from, etc., to prove their lineage. 
only people that were born from one of the fathers, or from the 12 tribes, was allowed to enter to the camp. Anyone else from the Erevah, the other non-Jews that joined along with the Jewish people when we left Egypt, was not allowed to be in the census. They did not get territory in the land of Israel, or at this point living amongst the camps of the Jews, and they lived outside of the clouds of glory, as we'll discuss later in this parsha. Okay. They should be counted from the age of 20 and up. This is what the verse says. From the age of 20 and up, every single Jew that was able to go out to war should go out, you should count them according to the legions, according to their battalions, you and Aaron. And together with you should be one representative of each of the tribes. Because what would happen if Moses and Aaron do the census and no, the, tribals, the tribes don't have representation in the census? I'll say it's not fair. It was rigged, right? Fraud, election fraud, etc. So therefore, it didn't start now, right? Moshe already knew this, so, or God knew this rather. So God says to Moshe, take one member of each of the 12 tribes. These are the leaders of the tribes who are already the leaders of the tribe. And now you're going to elevate them to be like princes. And they're going to be with you in the census to make sure everything is kosher and uh, legit. Right? Who are these 12 men? I'll go through it very quickly. From the tribe of Reuben, Ali Tzub and Shteyer. For Shemo, Shlomi Abel Tzur and Shaddai. Nach Shem and Aminadav. Nisan Abel Tzur. Elia Abel Chelein. Okay. For Ephraim, Yosef is interesting. For the tribe of Yosef, there's two tribes. Ephraim and Menasheh. They each count as their own tribe. And we're going to see that Levi is not counted in the census. So when you count the 12 tribes, we have Reuven, we have Shimon, we have Yehuda, we have Yisachar, we have the two sons of Yosef, Ephraim and Menasheh. We have the tribe of Binyamin, God was led by Eliasaf ben Duel, for Naphtali was led by Achira ben Enon. These are the ones who were chosen by uh, Hashem to be the ones who would help in the counting of the Jewish people. Every single one, me ben Esim Shana from the age of 29. So let me address one more issue and we'll stop over there. There's a common, common idea that is taken for granted that the census was from the age of 20 to 60. That's what most people know, myself included. If you look in the verse, the verse does not say that. What does the verse say? From the age of 20 and up. Up. Meaning up till 92, 99, 120, whatever, as old as they go. So where is the source that the census is only till the age of 60? So, what? Well, Okay, so some say since it's called Yetzit Tzav Yisrael, those who went out to fight the war, the army, we're counting soldiers here. Soldiers, 90-year-olds don't fight in the army anymore. I mean, 90-year-olds are still awesome, but they're not uh, soldiers. So, soldiers are only from the age of 20 till 60. That's simple understanding. However, according to at least many commentaries, I was looking at this yesterday, the census was not till the age of 60. The census was any Jewish man over the age of 20, from each tribe was counted. The Torah does not say this after the age of 60. The question is, here's where the issue is. We know there's going to be a plague that will come upon all the Jewish people. And that plague, according to the Gemara, only takes place on the men between the ages of 20 and 60. The woman, when the Jews go into the, into the land of Israel, or rather when the spies go into the land of Israel, and they come back out, because the Jews lose faith, right? we'll get to that story soon, and the Jews start crying, God says, since you cried for no reason, I'll give you a real reason to cry, and they were destined to die in the desert for the next 40 years. And every year on Tisha B'Av, which was the night when the spies had come back with their very negative doomsday report, the Jewish people would dig their graves, 
they would go lie down in their graves, go to sleep, and in the morning everyone that was six years old died. And then they were buried right there in the graves that they had slept in. The, the woman did not get included in this decree. The woman did not die. I mean, they died natural deaths over the course of the 40 years. Where the woman did not die on Tishabav, where they dug their graves. The woman was not part of the punishment because the woman did not lose faith. And according to some, the men over the age of 60 also are not part of the plague. The men over the age of 60 also just died natural deaths, as is normal when you are over 60 years old, over the course of time. But they didn't die as part of the plague. The source of that, the Gemara says, from last week's parish, actually. Who remembers last week's parish? We were talking about the different values of different people that are pledged their value to the temple. The person says, I pledge my value to the temple. So what's the amount that he owes? It's a fixed, flat amount of the Torah decrees, the decree of God. And the Torah says that a man between the age of 20 and 60 is 50 shekel, etc. And over 60, I think it went down to 15 shekel, if I'm not mistaken, or 20 shekel, I don't remember offhand. But the point is that the Torah separates the above 60 and below 60, and these exerah shav, meaning the same words used over there. Vamaila is the same words used over here. So therefore, little decree is only till 60. So that's why people say that the actual sentence is also only from 20 till 60, because that's what the punishment was, the plague was. And the plague was only those that were counted. The women weren't counted, and the women weren't punished. So too, the men over 60 weren't counted, weren't punished. Anyway, it's a very interesting debate. If the men over 60 were counted, I'm sharing it with you. Tomorrow, God willing, we'll go through the actual census of the Jewish people. And I'll address a very interesting question, which is why the uh, number in this census is the exact same number as the census six months earlier. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Yeah.